Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, if you want to open up your Bible to Psalm 27 this morning, we'll start a new little mini-series here at the Vineyard. And uh, what I want to talk about for the next few weeks is uh, God at the center. Uh, God at the center. That's what I want to talk about for the next few weeks. And I I want to really just uh, look at one verse this morning. We're going to bounce around in in the Psalms a little bit, but there's going to be one key verse this morning, and it's from Psalm 27, verse 4. This has sort of been in my head and heart all week long. But before we get to the text, uh, I want to start here. And I want to start by saying that um, every house needs a foundation. You know, we have a few builders here at the church, uh, but even if you're not a builder, I think, I think we pretty much all know that if you want to build a house, first thing you have to do is you got to dig the hole, you got to pour the footers, and the foundation actually determines what can be built on top. Uh, the dimensions of the foundation, but then also the depth of the foundation. You know, if your foundation is shallow, you, you can't put much on top because it'll just break down eventually. You have to have a foundation that is in proportion to what you want to put on top of it. Uh, and not only, not only does every house need a foundation, but I was also thinking about this this week. I was thinking about how right now the solar system is being held together or it's being held in place by the gravity of the sun. And the sun is out there and it's actually holding every single planet in its orbit. Like everything is, is, is finding its place in our little corner of the solar system because there's this, there's this sun in the center and it's got the most mass and everything else finds its orbit in its, in its, uh, in its gravity. Uh, so you, you got to have a foundation if you want to put something on top of it. And, and literally the little corner of space that we find ourselves in right now, it's being held together because there's, there's something at the center that's pulling us together and lo- allowing us to find, to find our place. And um, here's what I wanted to, to say maybe this morning. Uh, these are reasons why a lot of us are, are here at church, you know, you might be thinking, well, what, is, what are foundations and the sun at the center of the solar system have to do with church? Well, uh, many, many people who are in the room this morning, uh, we're, we're being drawn to God and we're at least minimally aware of it. You know, some of us here are maybe more aware of it. Some of us here are maybe less aware of it, but, but we're finding our place and church becomes this expression of like, there's something in us that's awake to the fact that there's something else that's drawing us to God. And so what I want to talk about for the next few weeks is like, what's at the center of our lives and how can we make God the center of our lives? How can we make God the thing that's, that's at the center of our solar system that's giving us a place? Or how can we make God the foundation that we're building off of so that we have something that will remain? Um, when I was sort of digging into this this week, I was doing a little reading and I was reading about the human impulse to search for God. And uh, as I was reading a little bit about the human impulse to search for God or to become awake to God, something you might call God consciousness, I was reading a little bit about that this week, uh, and, I, I, and I, I ran across a couple things that were really, really interesting. Uh, not only is it a human impulse to search for God, but it appears that having a God story happening in your life 
is good for you. Uh, this is actually pretty interesting. I was reading an article from uh, the APA.org, and here's a, here's a direct quote from one of the articles about people who have some kind of God awareness happening in their life and at the center. This is a direct quote. It says, a large body of research finds that religious people live longer, are less prone to depression, and are less likely to abuse alcohol and drugs. You know, uh, it, what it doesn't say is that you won't use alcohol and drugs, uh, that bad things won't happen to you, but it does say less likely, just like, and by the way, did you notice that it doesn't say being a Christian? It just says what? Just being religious. Like, uh, read for, like another way to say religious might be like, have some sort of like ordering story to your life uh, that, that includes a power that's beyond you. And then all of these good things begin to happen in, in your life because why? Well, because you're coming into the orbit of something, right? You're laying some sort of foundation at the base. Then I read another, I read another article. It's from the Wall Street Journal. They, read a, they wrote an article on prayer not long ago. I'm going to read you sort of a long quote because it's very interesting. And it goes one step beyond just blank religion. And it actually, it actually begins to become a little more specific about the kind of religion that's most beneficial to you. So listen to this. This is from the Wall Street Journal. It says, a 2005 study in the Journal of uh, Behavioral Medicine uh, comparing secular and spiritual forms of meditation found that spiritual meditation to be more calming. In spiritual meditation, uh, oh, let me say it this way. In secular meditation, you focus on something such as your breath or a non-spiritual word. But in spiritual meditation, you focus on a spiritual word or text. Participants were divided into groups and some people were taught how to meditate using the words of self-affirmation. They were taught to use the words, I am love. And others were taught how to meditate with the words uh, that described a higher power and the words they used were, God is love. Then they meditated for 20 minutes a day for four weeks and researchers found that the group who practiced spiritual meditation with the mantra, God is love, showed greater decreases in anxiety and stress and a more positive mood. They also tolerated, they also tolerated pain twice as long when asked to put their hand in an ice water bath. Isn't that weird? Here's what I love about that article. Here's what I love about that article. It's not just that, that a religious story or a spiritual practice is good for you, but when you begin to move, when you begin to move into a religious practice or when you begin to move into a spirituality that is beyond yourself, that isn't just self-affirmation, self -affirmation, I am love, or isn't just like becoming aware of your breath, as good as those things can be, but when you begin to actually say the word, God is love, something external to me, God is love. Did you notice that all these things increased? And what's funny about this is uh, these are people doing these studies who are, they're not even religious. They're just scientists who are like, I wonder what's up with all these Christians and I wonder what's up with all these other religions out there and is there any benefit? Isn't that wild? That's what I love about those studies. Just having an, a centering story to your life gives you a benefit, but the more specific you get about who God is, those benefits tend to increase in your life. Okay, today's text Today's text, Psalm 27, verse 4. Seth, help me out, buddy. This is what David says. And this is the text that's been in my head and heart all week. David says this. 
One thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. One thing I ask, one thing I seek. What I want to talk about today is having a life where God is at the center. Uh, These are the words that I've been thinking about. Uh, One of the reasons I've been thinking about these words is because uh, David had a heart for God. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, uh, specifically in the book of 1 Samuel, it said that David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't just that, uh, that he was someone who was a little bit religious, but he was somebody who, who had given himself to God to the point that the Bible says that David was a person who was um, near to God. Uh, there was something about David where his heart was bent toward God. And of course, if you know the story of David, uh, you know that having a heart for God doesn't mean that you're perfect. This is one of the things I love most about the Bible and the way that it looks at David. It, it gives a very honest appraisal of who he is. Uh, it says, on the one hand, David is a man after God's own heart. And then it goes on to tell the story. Uh, one of the things we find out about David a little later is that, uh, that he's an adulterer and that he's a murderer. And yet the Bible says all these things at once. So uh, having, a, having a heart that's bent toward God doesn't mean uh, that, that you're perfect Uh, It doesn't mean that you're particularly holy. David's love for God was in many ways mirrored by his weakness. Um, Yet even those parts of him that were weak, they couldn't block, they couldn't blot out the ache in his heart for God. This is what he writes. He says, one thing I ask, one thing I seek is to live in your house. David had a heart for God. And when he's writing these words, When he's writing these words, we're not exactly for sure when David wrote these words, but many Bible scholars believe that David wrote these words when his son Absalom was trying to kill him and take the kingdom. Do you guys remember this part of the story? A little bit later in David's life, there's some stuff happening and and people are beginning to wonder, well, man, should David even be the guy anymore? And uh, David's, one of David's favorite sons, Absalom, uh, the Bible says the most handsome man in all of Israel, you know, uh, he decides, well, you know what, maybe I should be the next guy. And he, and he, and he sets about on a plan to usurp uh, the kingdom from his father. So can you imagine having a family member, not just a family member, but your own son and one of your favorite sons turn against you? Uh, most Bible scholars believe that when David wrote these words, that was what was happening in his life. And I, and I wanted to share that context with you uh, this morning. I wanted to share that context because uh, whenever I'm experiencing trouble and difficulty, uh, these words are maybe not the inclinations of my heart. Think about a moment when you're experiencing trouble or difficulty. Well, what do you pray? Help. <laughs> Most of the time we pray things like help or get me out of this. God, would you, you know, would you kill all my enemies? <laughs> Give me a million dollars, heal my car. You know, that's usually what we pray. But isn't it interesting that when David is experiencing trouble and most likely when the sort of trouble that David is experiencing is, is rebellion inside of his own house from one of his favorite sons, isn't it interesting that David's David's heart is bent towards, man, the thing I'd love most is to be near to God. Just to be near to God. David says, one thing I ask and the thing I seek most is to live, to live in your house. 
Uh, I, I hope that it's obvious this morning in, in the text that when David is praying this prayer, he's, he's asking for the presence of God. One thing I ask, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in his perfections and meditating in his temple. He's saying he wants to live close to God. Uh, in our family, or at least the little immediate pod of our family, you know, uh, you, you guys probably have families like ours. The family is pretty big and it stretches out. But in the, the immediate pod of my family, there are, there are 13 grandkids. My, my, kid, my four are part of that 13. And when there's 13 grandkids, what that means is that every single grandkid has 12 cousins. I think that's right. Mathematicians help me. But every, every grandkid has 12 cousins. And how many of you know that when you have 12 cousins, what that means is there's somebody in that group who's close to you in age and who's your buddy. So there's like these little packs of cousins. So within the 12, there's these little packs of cousins. And, and a few weeks ago, several cousins came over for a sleepover with Rowan. And one of them asked me uh, about... About the time we were putting them to bed, we, we drug a bunch of mattresses up into the living room. And so Rowan's on one, one end of the couch of the sectional. And then we got another cousin on the other end. And then we have two cousins on these little mini mattresses down in front of the TV. And they'd been watching SpongeBob and I'm turning it off. And one of the cousins says to me, uh, he says, hey, Uncle Adam. I said, hey, what? He says, how, how many nights am I allowed to sleep at your house? I said, as, as many as your mom and dad will let you. Like, I don't care. You come on over, right? You know, because when you're here, it's a whole lot easier to deal with Rowan. <laughs> well, here's why I'm telling you that story. Because friendship and love happen in close spaces. Isn't that right? Like, like when, there's, um, when there's friendship or when there's love, you want to be together. Uh, you, want, you, want, you want there to be some, some closing of the distance with, when, when it comes to the proximity of, the, of these people. Those relationships, they happen best. How many of you know that, that you could like not know someone and you can go on a car trip with them and when you get back, you feel like you're best friends? It's just, there's something about us, right? Like proximity really matters in human relationships. This is part of what we see in David. David's saying like, the thing I would love the most because I have a heart that's bent towards God, the thing I'd love the most is the, I, want to, I want to spend the night at his house. You know, I want, I want, to, I want to stay on the couch in God's house because, because my heart is bent toward him. He's, it's, a, it's a prayer for the presence of God. And a life where God is at the center is one where we love the presence of God. I was also thinking about this Psalm this week. Seth, you can help me out. Psalm 42, uh, verse 1. Uh, another psalmist says this, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I want you to notice a couple things. Uh, I want you to notice a couple things in this passage. Uh, number one, uh, I want you to notice that natural thirsts are compared to spiritual thirsts. And the other thing I want you to notice this morning is... Uh, as, as I want you to notice uh, that, that thirst is connected to being in his presence. Because here's, here's what it says in the next verse. It says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. It says this, I thirst for God, the living God, 
where can I go and stand before him? It's not just a hunger for God, not just a thirst, but, but in verse two, in verse two, the, 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 the psalmist says, where can I go and, and stand before him? Uh, it's the idea of presence again, isn't it? It's the very same thing that David was saying. Hey, I just want to be in God's house. I want to meditate on his beauty in the temple. I just want to be near to God. And here the psalmist says, I am thirsty for God. Where can I go and just stand before him? Hunger and thirst. By the way, hunger is a vineyard word. Uh, there's a handful of vineyard words. And, and when I say a vineyard word, I'm not just talking about Vineyard Campbellsville, but I'm talking about the vineyard all over the world. Um, I, I, bring it up, I bring it up because it's a part of our spiritual heritage. Uh, the vineyard is a community of churches around the globe, but it was, it was, never, it was never anyone's intention to start a global denomination in the vineyard. I've talked to many of the people who were at the very beginning of the vineyard. I've talked to many men and women who were, who were at the very inception of whatever this vineyard thing is. And I've listened to their stories and I've asked them, I'm like, hey, tell, can you just tell me about the vineyard? And how did it start? And why did you do whatever it was? And what you'll hear over and over when you listen to them talk or tell the story of the vineyard is you hear something like this. Uh, we were burnt out Christians who knew there were more and we were desperate and hungry for God. That is always, always, always the story of the vineyard. We were burnt out Christians who knew there was more and we were hungry and we were desperate for God. Uh, there, were no, there were no plans of like, making a global movement. There were no plans of being a global brand. There was no plans of being successful. There were no plans of having a platform or making a big time ministry. The, the plan was, is there a place where I could go into the presence of God? Where can I go and stand before him? And one of my favorite moments, I was talking to a, a guy named Bob Fulton. So Bob uh, and his wife, Penny, they were two of the founders of the vineyard with John and Carol Wimber. Uh, and Bob would say, uh, we were burnt out Pharisees. This is what Bob told me. He was like, we had done church. We were burnt out Pharisees. And he says, we were at the end of our rope and we were meeting in a little house in Southern California. And uh, we had Carl Tuttle and Carl would come in and sing some songs. And we would, we would just notice that when we would sing to God and not about God, the, the presence of God would come close to us. And we noticed we noticed that if we would ask for prayer for ourselves and not for someone else, that the spirit of God would come to us. He says, you know, we were just, we were burnt out Pharisees. He goes, we were really good at, at praying for other people or knowing what other people needed. And he goes, when we actually got deep and desperately honest about what we needed and where we needed to be touched by God. And when we would say it into the group, we noticed that the spirit of God would come and touch us. And so he said, there were a few rules at the early vineyard meetings. Number one, we sang to God. We did not sing about God. Number two, you were not allowed, you were not allowed to ask for prayer for someone else. You could only ask for prayer for yourself. And, uh, and no, one, no one could get religious and, and try to tell everybody else about the Bible. We just wanted, we just wanted to say, is there something here for us as, as a family, right? And the spirit of God touched them. That was basically how this thing started. Hunger and thirst are vineyard words. They're vineyard words. Uh, you'll, 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 know, you'll know this in the vineyard. Hunger and thirst 
That's just something we talk about. And we talk about hunger and thirst for God, not because we're spiritual giants. And we talk about hunger and thirst for God, not because we have our act together and not because we're holy, but, but precisely because we're not. Uh, because we know there has to be more. And because some of us in the room have tasted enough to know that there's something extra out there for us. And so here's what I'd like to do over the next few weeks. I'd like to call us to the simple act of developing spiritual appetite again. You know, I, it, this is something that is, this is who we are. And even here at this little vineyard church, like the thing that's made this church what it is, is spiritual appetite. It's, it's the very same thing. It's, it's a group of people who were at the end of their ropes and just said, you know, God, there has to be more. And I know there is. I know there is. Uh, here's the thing about appetite. Two things in particular. Uh, number one, appetites can grow. And number two, uh, they can change. Uh, right now, maybe, maybe you're in the room and, and you're not hungry. Or maybe, maybe if you were to be honest right now and you'd say, well, I'm not very thirsty for God. Uh, maybe church is boring. Uh, here's what I'd like to, I, I would like to ask you to do. Maybe you should ask yourself why. Or maybe a better question is this, what is it that I'm hungry and thirsty for? If you would say, I'm not hungry for God, maybe a better question would be, can I honestly say what it is I am hungry and thirsty for? Or maybe here's another question, what, what do I pursue? Or, or what do I think I need in order to have life? Isn't that what food and drink are about? Sometimes we have to admit that our appetites are being filled somewhere else. Uh, a couple days ago, Heather and I were making dinner and I came home and I was so hungry. Uh, have you ever been so hungry that when you were cooking dinner, you just started eating carrots? <laughs> just like anything. You, you just like, you start eating carrots, like things you don't even like. You're like, you, you just look in the refrigerator and you're like, well, here's some carrots and here's some pickles and here's some stale Pringles, and you just like, and you're, by the way, you're doing all the things, right? You're, you're doing the chopping, and you, talk, you got the water on, and you're doing all the things, and you're prepping this other dinner. The whole time, you're just shoving your face filled with like carrots and stale Pringles, and then you get dinner done, and what happens? You're not hungry, you know? Anybody ever done that? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have to admit that our appetites are being filled somewhere else. Uh, here's the good news, church. Uh, our appetites can grow and our appetites can change. Uh, I remember the first time I had asparagus when I was a kid. I hated that stuff. I hated asparagus, you know? And I remember the first time I had kale. I hated it. And I remember the first time I had an oyster. Totally freaked out. Anybody ever, anybody ever remember the first time they had a raw oyster? Some of you are still resisting, aren't you? <laughs> By the way... By the way, the raw oyster, this is my execution meal. You know, when they, you know when, they, when they kill you on death row, they let you pick whatever you want. Listen, if I ever have to go to death row, I'm already telling you, my execution meal is, is, is raw oysters and white wine, and then you can throw the switch, you know? That's it. Some of you are like, wow, that's a hard joke. Here's what I've noticed over the years, though. Here's what I've noticed over the years. Now I love asparagus. I don't just like it. I love it. Like, how can you eat a steak without asparagus? 
Like how in the summertime, what kind of animal would eat a steak without the asparagus? You have to have it, right? And kale, like the other day, I went over to Graham's house and Graham made this kale salad and everybody was kind of walking away from it. I destroyed that kale salad. It was so good. It was so good. And now, like I just told you, I want oysters for my last meal. Oh yeah, sweet potatoes. Used to hate those. Now I'm just like, I'm all in on the sweet potato. Had one last night. Wanted a, I wanted a second one, but they were gone. <laughs> Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Taste change. Your taste change. Like, are you hungry for God? Oh, I hope so. If you're not, here's the good news. Uh, find out what else it is that you're pursuing. Ask God to begin to move into that area of your life and, and believe and know this, that tastes can change. Things you didn't like, you can grow to love and actually realize that these are the things that you need. What do you do? What do you do if your hunger for God's presence is low? Uh, three things. Number one, admit it. No sense in acting. Here at the Vineyard, we don't pretend. That's just not who we are or what we do. Uh, if it's not working, say it's not working. If your hunger for God is low, uh, admit it. Number two, notice what you're hungry and thirsty for. No sense in hiding. So number one, admit it. Number two, notice what you're hungry and thirsty for. No, no sense in hiding. And then number three, let every hunger become an invitation to come to God. By the way, that's what every human hunger and thirst is really about. It's really about your need for God. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting to me. Uh, David's prayer to live in God's temple on the one hand, and then the words of Jesus from the New Testament on the other. So David says in Psalm 27, verse 4, there's one thing I'd really love which is to live in your house. I want to live in your presence. God, I want to live in your temple. So you hold that in one hand, okay? Here's what's interesting. On the other hand, fill it up with what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Seth, can you help me? We're going to read three verses here really quick. Jesus is talking about like to his disciples and he's saying like, I'm getting ready to leave, but here's some stuff y'all should know. He says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you'll know him. Why? Because he lives with you now and where? Later he'll be where? In you. All right, Seth, the next scripture. Jesus says, when I'm raised to life again, this is also John chapter 14. When I'm raised to life again, you'll know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am where? in you. All right. And finally, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and we will make our home in them. I love these scriptures. So you have to hold what David says in Psalm 27 in one hand, but you also have to have the words of Jesus in John 14 in the other. And if you do that, here's what you have. Uh, you have this, you have this, this scenario where we have become the temple that David desired to live in. Like the temple that David desired to live in, Jesus says that we are that temple because God has come and he has, he has filled us with his spirit. The spirit of God that lived in the temple has come to live inside of us. In fact, here's one way to read the Bible. This is a pretty fascinating way to understand the scriptures. Uh, in Genesis chapter one, God is in heaven. In Genesis chapter two and three, he's like in the garden. Uh, by the time you get to Exodus, God is now 
on top of the mountain. Y'all remember that part where Moses would go up to the mountain? Where's everybody else? At the bottom of the mountain. So in Genesis 1, God is in heaven. In Exodus, God is where? At the top of the mountain, at the beginning of the book of Exodus. At the end of the book of Exodus, where is God? He is at the bottom of the mountain in a tabernacle that he told Moses to build. In the Psalms, David says, I have this one desire and it's to live in the presence of God. And where is the presence of God? It's the temple, like down the road. Uh, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus has come among us and after he ascends, the spirit comes to the church and comes to the world in Acts chapter two and it is poured out on all flesh. So in Genesis one, God is in heaven. In Exodus, at the beginning, God is on top of the mountain. By the end of Exodus, God is at the bottom of the mountain in a tent. By the time of David, God is in a stone temple. And by the time that uh, Acts chapter two rolls around, God's spirit has been poured out on all flesh. The temple that David desired to live in is the one that we currently inhabit. So what does this have to do with hunger and thirst? Uh, what does this have to do with one thing I ask? Well, here, here's what I believe, especially when it comes to hunger and thirst and human appetites. Uh, I, I believe that, that all of our hunger is an echo of our ultimate desire. I believe that every, every human want and urge is ultimately some kind of resonance from God. That's what I believe. And I'll just get really specific here for a moment. Uh, I believe that my, ap my appetite for success is an echo of, of my hope that, that, that I could be blessed by God. You know, some of us have a, like a really strong appetite for success, uh, recognition, um, monetary success, climbing some kind of ladder. And you can lean into that or you, or, or you can wake up to, and realize that maybe, maybe that appetite is robbing me, robbing me of my appetite and my hunger and my thirst for God. The God who is literally dwelling within me. Uh, and, and you can wake up and realize that that appetite is actually just a resonance uh, that's living inside of me. And it's really, it's my hope that I could be blessed by God. You know, those Old Testament stories like where, where Jacob would wrestle with the angel and he would say, I'm not letting go unless you bless me, right? What is that? It's just, it's the human hope. It's the human hope for success. Uh, here, here's another way for me to be very specific. My appetites for money, uh, they're an echo of my hope to be secure. Uh, isn't that what money is all about? You just want security, isn't it? You know, why, why do people freak out when the bank account gets low? Because you feel less secure. That's it. You know, and if you have an appetite, if you have an appetite for success or if you have an appetite for money, it, it could really just be an appetite for security. And by the way, that kind of security you're really looking for, it only, it only comes from God. It only comes from God. Uh, my appetite for sex, my appetites for sex, they're, echo, they're echoes of my need to, to know and to be known. You know, uh, Every single person in here has some kind of an appetite for sex. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, it is about like maybe finding a husband or a wife and having a kid, okay? Uh, and it is maybe about bringing another little person into the world. It is all those things. Here's what it's really, really about. It's about your desire to know and to be known. And by the way, Sex will never, ever lead any of us to the kind of knowing and being known that we are really looking for until we find it in God. 
It's our desire to be embraced by God. That's really what it's about. Like, like the desire to, to stand naked before another person and feel no shame, that's, that's, a, that is an, that's a resonance that is coming from God. Like to, to stand before your maker and for, it's to stand in front of the person who knows you best and loves you most. That's the ache that's in our heart. And so you might be here this morning um, and you might be wondering, well, what's next? Well, here's what I think today. I think there's an invitation to come and to find God in all of our hunger. And I think there's an invitation to wake up to the God who is, who is already dwelling inside of us and who wants to satisfy us. But one more tiny little story. Um, everybody here have an iPhone or some such thing? Some of you Android people with your green text messages screwing up my group texts. You'll be forgiven in heaven, but not here. No, that's not true. You're forgiven already. Um, how, how many of you know you can, you can get one of these little guys? Like maybe, maybe you still have the six, you know? And then you go and get the new, what, what model are we on now? Like 13 something? Yeah. And you go to the, the 13 and the 13, it's, it's like the six, isn't it? Isn't it? It's kind of, I mean, it's the same shape. It's like, you know what, it's an iPhone. You know what to do with it. You, like, you swipe and you pull the thing down and you look at it and push the buttons. But how many of you know that, that if you get a new iPhone and maybe it's been a generation or two since you've had one, that the new one, it does all the stuff that your old one did. So you get it and you're just like, you just go on about your business. You, you text all your friends. You, take the, you know how to take the picture. You know, you can do all the things. But then how many of you know that the new one has features on it that you probably don't know about? Have you ever seen on TikTok or on Instagram those guys who have like the little microphones and they tell you, here's an iPhone hack you probably didn't know about. And then they tell you things and it's like literally magic. It's, it's black magic. There are people in the world who know how to do magic on iPhones. And then you get your iPhone out and you're like, holy crap, it's not just, I can do this magic, you know? And you're like, you're swiping the thing and all of a sudden new, you can do stuff with this. And how many of you know that you could have done that the day before? It's already on there. It, it, like the, it's already in there, right? What's the point of this story? Uh, the point of this story is, is like God is already dwelling in you. He's already dwelling in you. And there's, there, are, there are possibilities and there is satisfaction for your life currently, currently downloaded onto your hardware that you do not know about. There, there, are, there is software running inside of your hardware right now that you might not know about. And it may or may not uh, correlate to your feelings. Like, forget your feelings. Who cares about your feelings right now, right? Like, it, it may or may not even correlate to your feelings. But there, there is a possibility for your life in God. And, and specifically, I want to talk about satisfaction for our hungers and our thirsts and our appetites. There, there is software currently loaded onto your hardware that you may not even know about. This is good news, by the way. So what do you do? What do you do? 
Well, swipe up. <laughs> what do you do? Well, what you do is you ask God, you ask God to show you, to show you the ways in which he's, he's working in your life and the ways in which that he wants to satisfy every, every ache, every ache. And here's the other thing you do. You, you don't let these, these temporal echoes that, that so often preoccupy all of our attention and awareness, uh, echoes of, of security, echoes to be known, echoes for success, to be blessed. You don't, you don't let those things knock you off course from, from the real thing, which is that God actually wants to bless you and that God wants to be your security and that God wants to, to know you intimately and he wants you to know him intimately. You don't let it knock you off course uh, because uh, there's something happening on the inside that you carry with you every day. Does this make sense? Amen. Hey, if you want to, why don't you stand up this morning? If you're on, if you're on the worship team, why don't you come back? And we just want to pray this morning. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.